In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, last week, we spoke about uh, introduction about Christian counseling, uh, what's counseling, and why it is important. And we spoke that counseling is about a change. And Jadi, minggu lalu kita belajar tentang... Uh, apa itu counseling dan mengapa counseling itu sangat diperlukan dan <laughs> dan bagaimana counseling itu dilakukan and we spoke about how change is difficult and not easy but it is possible and we give some ideas how as a counselors we can facilitate change to happen. Dan kita sudah mempelajari bahwa perubahan itu tidak mudah ya. Dan itu ada beberapa langkah yang harus dilakukan. Today God willing in our lecture we will speak about the characteristics of the counselor. Nah, kalau untuk sekarang Pertemuan kali ini kita akan melihat karakteristik daripada konselor itu sendiri. In all counseling situations, we must try to answer four important questions. Selalu ada empat pertanyaan penting. What is the real problem and which might be different from the problem that the counselee presents? Apakah permasalahannya itu? Apakah permasalahan apa permasalahannya? Haruskah menolongnya? The second question, should I try to help? Second question, should I try to help? Third question, what could I do to help? And then the fourth question, would someone else be better qualified to help? So we need to diagnose the problem, ask myself, should I try to help and how? Or maybe it's better to refer to somebody more experienced in this problem than me. It is important for Christian counselors to have understanding of problems. I mean, how they arise and how they might be resolved. Also, knowledge of biblical teaching about the problem that people people bring, what the Bible teaches about this specific problem. For example, if couple comes to me considering divorce, I need to understand what uh, the Bible teaches about divorce. Both also both experience and familiarity with counseling skills. Uh, I should know what are the techniques I can use it and what are the skills that I will need in order to solve this problem. There is evidence that the counselor's personal characteristics are of even great significance in helping. Uh, 
my characteristic will actually influence the success or the failure of the counseling process. And there were some studies that showed that patients in psychiatric hospitals were most likely to improve when their counselors showed high level of warmth, empathy, genuineness, regardless of the techniques or theoretical perspective they are using. For example, one of the researchers, his name Lee Parrott, did an in-depth study and concluded that there are several important qualities for counselors' effectiveness. What are these qualities? This list, or these three qualities, allow counselors to be aware of what may be making them effective and what they may be lacking for further development. So I do self-examination to know whether I have these qualities or not, what's lacking and what I have. What are these three qualities? Number one, psychological health. Psychological health. People and counselors with psychological health are willing to take responsibility for themselves without blaming others. They are at peace with the present and with themselves. So the counselor himself should be psychologically balanced and psychologically well. Otherwise, he cannot take responsibility. Otherwise, he cannot give uh, a wise advice or uh, to be a good helper to the people. Second characteristic, a genuine interest in people, concern for others, like to help people, and this actually comes from his heart, not looking for counseling as a job to make money, but he has a genuine interest to help the people. Number three, empathy. And empathy is the ability to feel what with the counselee and to see the world as he sees. Empathy is understanding the world from uh, the other person's eye. Empathy doesn't mean agreeing. Let me explain this. For example, if a person stole money, I can understand from his own perspective why he stole money. But this doesn't mean I agree with him. So empathizing with him means I am, I understand exactly what made him uh, steal money. That's what empathy is. Number four, personal warmth. Counselors who are caring, attentive, accepting, show acceptance to the client, tend to be open, relaxed, and judgmental, 
these counselors are more effective than others. Number five, self-awareness. Counselors who are aware of their true motive, their limitations, for example, limitation in experience, personal issues. I mean personal issues. If I counselor have, if I, as a counselor, I have issues, my son who is teenager, I should not actually project this on any teenager comes to me asking for counseling. So I am aware of my personal issues, aware of my weaknesses and my strengths. So this self-awareness helps the counselor to be committed to personal growth and willing to change. Another important characteristic is the awareness of values. It is at the core of personal stability. Effective counselors live in accordance with their value and understand how their values can impact others. Uh, now actually we are living in a world in which there is destruction of all values. But we as Christian counselors, we should actually hold fast to the biblical values without compromising them. This actually gives stability and uh, this will impact positively our counselee. Tolerance, another important characteristic. Tolerance of ambiguity. What do I mean by ambiguity? Ambiguity means uncertainty. Usually, people who come for counseling are often vague about their symptoms, desire, how to explain their problems. So I, I, I shouldn't be frustrated with this, but I tolerate their uncertainty, I tolerate their ambiguity, until at the end I can understand exactly what is their problem and what are the best symptoms they have. Oke, okay, jadi untuk ada poin beberapa tambahan ya tadi ya. Jadi bicara ambiguity atau itu adalah kayak keraguan atau ketidakpastian ya. Jadi ketidakpastian yang seringkali itu akhirnya tidak jelas apa tujuannya, maksud dan tujuannya yang dirasakan oleh orang itu. Every counseling and every problem is unique. That's why there is no one approach that applies to every case. And we as Christian counselors know that they are most likely to be effective when we seek to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting the spiritual and God-giving traits of joy, love, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So as a Christian counselor, when I present myself in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I live in the likeness of Lord Jesus Christ, and I carry the fruit of, of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5.22, and I show this fruit in the counseling session, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, my counseling will be effective. Christian counselors need also to demonstrate integrity, courage to accept one's shortcoming, and to challenge or empower others, and care that expresses a sincere concern for their counselee. So these are three important things, integrity, courage, and care. Integrity, encourage to show acceptance to the shortcoming. And then care to show a concern and how to challenge uh, and empower the, the counselee to uh, change. Also, Christian counselors' understanding of counseling issues and effective ways to help have many roots in the research that had been produced in the secular communities. Meaning, when we understand what are the counseling issues and what are the effective way to handle each issue, this actually very important in the effectiveness of the counselor. The Christian counselor has at least four distinctive and different uniqueness. So these four things, they are different than any secular counselor. So there are common things with the secular counselors, but these four points differentiate and distinguish us from secular counselors. Number one, unique assumption. We each bring our own beliefs and viewpoints into the counseling situation. So Christian counselors have beliefs about attributes of God, the nature of human being, authority of the scripture, reality of sin, forgiveness of God, and hope for the future. So, when I come to the counseling session, as a Christian counseling, I'm coming with this assumption based on my own belief system as a Christian counselor. Ya, jadi ini tadi di, uh, ini harus ada tujuan yang uh, unik ya dalam dalam hal kita menjadi seorang konselor gitu loh. Jadi bagaimana orang-orang yang kita layani atau yang kita bantu ini mereka uh, punya masalah-masalahnya kan di situ. Gitu. Uh, Pak, uh, ya 
yang kita bantu ada banyak masalah-masalahnya. Nah, seorang konsel seorang konselor Kristen itu harus memiliki keyakinan ya, gitu loh. Ya keyakinannya yang pasti kita keyakinan kepada Tuhan dan di mana di sini bicara tentang adanya kita harus melihat seseorang itu ya harus memahami bahwa manusia itu punya naturnya sendiri seperti itu. Dan kita memahami bagaimana Alkitab itu berotoritas kepada kehidupan kita dan di mana adanya permasalahan-permasalahan yang digambarkan yaitu seperti adanya dosa dan bagaimana nanti itu memberi sebuah pengampunan ya kepada orang yang uh, mengalami masalah dan akhirnya dia bisa memahami bahwa permasalahan itu bisa diselesaikan gitu dan akhirnya dia memiliki pengharapan. Uh, please continue Sena. The second uniqueness of the Christian counselor he has unique goals. Unique goals. Any secular counselor, they are seeking to help people change their behavior, teach them skills like social and problem solving, social skills and problem solving, encourage the recognition and expression of emotion, guide as decisions are made, how to make decisions. So all counselors share these qualities. But we as Christian counselors, because of who we are, we are Christian. We model and disseminate Christian standards, values, attitudes, and lifestyles. So our goals, when we set goals, it, based, it is based on the teaching of the scripture. And there are some evidence that suggests that discussion also of religious beliefs and spiritual resources help counselee to gain hope, meaning, understand meaning of life, their life, also support, so they can cope with their problems better. So we spoke about unique assumptions and unique goals. Number three, unique methods unique methods. All counselors, whether secular or Christian, use the same helping methods and basic techniques, such as listening, showing interest, attempting to understand, and occasionally give direction. And they will avoid techniques that would be considered immoral. But we as Christian counselors, also we avoid any method that would be inconsistent with the biblical teaching and use other techniques like prayer. Secular counselor will not use prayer. We use prayer in the counseling session. We read from the scripture and we encourage the counselee to become an active member in the church. So we have unique assumptions, unique goals, unique methods, and number four, unique giftedness, unique giftedness. Some people are better counselors than others. Counseling is a gift from God. But a lack of giftedness in some area may mean that one will have 
to work a little harder how to develop and how to acquire this missing gift. Christians may help not only by counseling, but by evangelism, teaching, and other aspects of serving. As Christian counselors, our gift is not only limited to the gift of counseling, but we have other gifts like teaching, evangelism, uh, clergy, the gift of pastoral care. So all these are gifts that help the Christian counselor in his uh, ministry. So we spoke about four things, how Christian counseling is unique. Unique assumptions, unique goals, unique methods, and unique giftedness. We'll move to another point. So in this lecture so far, first point we discussed is the characteristic of the Christian counselor. Second point is the uniqueness of the Christian counselors. Third point, the motives. What are my motives? Why do we want to counsel? Why I chose this field to be my career, for example? Some choose counseling because of a sincere desire to help others. Or one has a good influence on others and people seek him to talk about their problems. So sometimes, you know, I did not seek counseling, but because I have good influence of others, so people come to me talking about their problems, then I discover that I have this gift, God give me this gift to influence others, so I pursue counseling as a career. However, there are other motives, sometimes unrecognizable, and may hinder one's counseling effectiveness. So, we need actually to examine ourselves, lest we have one of these motives which will hinder our effectiveness as Christian counselors. For example, need for relationship. I have a need for relationship. And counseling is a good field to make relationships. So, for counselees, the counselor will be temporarily their closest friend. But if the counselor is in need for a relationship, that may hinder the attempt to help and become unethical. Because instead of helping them, I am fed on the friendship between me and the counselee. Another uh, motive that may hinder the effectiveness of uh, counseling, the need for control. Need for control. Some people are controllers. We call them authoritarian counselors. 
So these authoritarian or controller counselors, they like to straighten out others and give advice. Uh, when counselees are told what to do, they might confuse the Christian counselor's opinion with the will of God. If he is coming to a Christian counselor, then in his mind, I will hear the word of God, the will of God and the word of God. So if the counselor is controller and told him, do this, don't do this, pursue this career, don't pursue this career, live in this country, immigrate to another country, marry this girl, don't marry this girl, then actually they will confuse what the counselor is saying as the will of God. Counselees are not likely to mature spiritually or emotionally if they cannot make decisions without the help of the counselors. We need actually to help our counselee to be able to make their own decisions. And we should train them how to do decisions uh, sound biblically and spiritually. But if all the time we are making decisions for them, we are hindering their growth and their maturity. Another need that hinder the effectiveness of counseling is the need to rescue. The rescuer often has a sincere desire to help, but this type of counseling takes responsibilities away from the counselee. Maybe you ask, what's wrong if I want to rescue? But if I want to rescue, yes, that's something good. But most of the time, I am taking the responsibility away from the counselee. So instead of teaching the counselee how to rescue himself, I am doing all what he, the counselee, should do. So I am doing his homework. Like... A mother or a father in the house literally take the homework of their children and do it for them. This is not good. This actually will not make their children to grow and, and to learn. So that is what's wrong with this motive, the need to rescue. Another need that may hinder the effectiveness of counseling is the need for information, uh, curiosity, and I want just to gather information. Counselee may share information that is extremely private. And some counselors may get curious to learn more. And they ask a question has nothing to do with counseling. They are overly curious counselors and they take the risk of engaging in unethical behavior by asking questions and just want to collect information it has nothing to do with the counseling session. Another need is the need for affirmation and acceptance. I, I'm speaking here about the counselor. The counselor himself 
need to be affirmed and need to be accepted. So, some counselors, including those who feel insecure, so if the counselor himself is insecure, they are starved for affirmation and expression of appreciation or praise and acceptance. So they get into this counseling um, career because they are seeking and they are hungry for acceptance and affirmation. Another need that may hinder the, the effectiveness of counseling is the need for personal healing. Most of us carry hidden needs and insecurities that could interfere with the work, the work of counseling. Counseling sessions may not be effective if the counselor is using counseling to fulfill his personal needs, especially the need to be healed. For example, if, if I have unfinished business from my childhood or I have trauma, then I am using this relationship with the counselee in order to be healed. This actually can hinder the effectiveness of counseling. So th these are some wrong motives and need we examine ourselves to be sure that we don't have these motives when we start counseling. Another point we'll speak about in this lecture, the counselor's mistakes, the counselor's mistake. So far I spoke about the characteristic of the counselors. We spoke about the uniqueness of the Christian counselor. We spoke about the uh, needs or the motivation of the Christian counselor. And now we'll speak about mistakes. There are common mistakes we may fall into. Uh, first mistake, the counselor visits in a set of counseling. So the session will be like visiting. We chat, we talk about everything. It is not a structured counseling process. Counseling is a problem-centered and goal-directed conversation. It's not chatting. So when we talk, we are talking about problems and we are seeking certain goals. Uh, and primarily focus on the need of one person, the counselee, because I am here to help the counselee. Counseling, the effectiveness of counseling is reduced if visiting is long and primary. Yes, in every session, we need to do some chatting, just like visiting. But if visiting is long, took, for example, uh, third, fourth of the session, 
or became the primary uh, focus in, in counseling because it is a friendly activity that involves mutual sharing. This actually may hinder the effectiveness of counseling. So we need to be focused. We need to focus on counseling, not on the visiting. Another mistake counselors start problem solving too early. So without understanding the, the problem, I start to offer solution. Yes, it is true that we should not waste time. But also it is true that counseling cannot be rushed. Problems may take a long time to be understood because they took a long time to develop. So it is unrealistic to assume that problems will disappear quickly and, on, and only in response to counselor's intervention. For example, if a family came to me with a family problem that lasts 15 years, I cannot claim that I can understand this problem in five minutes and then I'm offering solution. And also, a problem that took 15 years will not be solved from the first session. It may need some sessions to be able to uh, solve these problems. Another mistake, when the counselor becomes an interrogator. Uh, it is more helpful to ask fewer questions using questions that will encourage the counselee to talk and allow time for silence while counselee collect his or her thoughts in order to provide a more complete picture of the issue. And we should not actually provide answers. Sometimes when the counselee is silent, so uh, I provide answer. I say, do you want to say so and so? Some counselors, their questions are empathetic, with empathy, and that's the best side. Some people are interrogators, like the prosecutors. So I feel, as a counselee, I am sitting in front of prosecutor, not in front of a counselee. Or some people Counselors like interviewer, like the talk show, just as they are interviewing the counselee and collecting just information with no goal and asking questions right and left with no goal. The best style in asking questions is the empathetic uh, uh, style. As a counselor, uh, I'm asking question directed toward a certain goal and uh, with empathy and, and giving him uh, some time to collect his thoughts and to answer the question. Another mistake, when the counselor is disrespectful or judgmental. So 
some counselors quickly categorize the people. For example, this person is arrogant. This person is a liar. This person is uh, selfish. Uh, it is very rare to be able to help anyone whom you judge. Or you fail to listen to this person sympathetically and respectfully. Sometimes, you know, we lose respect for the counselee and it will show on my actually body language. It will show on my facial expression. And when I lose respect to the counselee or I I judge him, it will be almost impossible to help counselee in this situation. Also, another mistake the counselor becomes overly involved emotionally. There is a fine line between caring and becoming too involved. Uh, When you are too involved and charged emotionally, you will lose objectivity and this will reduce your effectiveness as Christian counselor. So there is difference between caring, sympathizing, and become involved emotionally too much to the extent you lose your objectivity. Another mistake, which is the opposite of becoming overly too emotional, when we appear distant and artificial. So, some counselors actually work on this assumption that good counselors always say the appropriate word, avoid mistakes, demonstrate that they have the knowledge and skills to handle any situation, which often lead to reluctance to admit their own weakness or knowledge gap. So, these counselors will be artificial because they didn't show real interest in the person, but they just use the appropriate word, avoid any mistake, demonstrate their knowledge and their skills, hide their weakness or any knowledge gap. And the counselee will feel that this counselor is fake, artificial. And it is almost impossible for a counselee to relax and share honestly with such counselors. Although they want to be perfect or to demonstrate themselves as perfect counselors, but they are distant and artificial. Another mistake, the counselor is defensive. The ability to listen empathetically is hindered completely when we being criticized unfairly. Aware that we are not helping 
bothered by guilt, afraid of, of being harmed by a counselee. So for example, if the counselee start to criticize me unfairly, then Contoh bagaimana seorang konselor uh, itu mengkritik Uh, kita contohnya please continue okay so when the counselee attacked me unfairly i turned to be defensive to, to defend myself or sometimes jadi bagaimana kalau misalkan seorang yang apa konseli ya atau yang dibantu atau pasien kita itu menyerang kita tapi bagaimana kita bisa punya kemampuan untuk mempertahankan diri Or if I become aware that I'm not helping or I am bothered by the guilt or afraid of being harmed by counselee. So all these things put me on the defensive side. Once I become defensive, I cannot help the counselee. Yeah, jadi kalau... Seseorang yang dibantunya ini berkata bahwa kita tidak dapat tidak dapat membantu ya jadi tetapi menambah rasa bersalahnya ya saya merasa dirugikan. Nah bagaimana seorang konselor bisa bersifat uh, defensif? So we as Christian counselors we are infallible. So we may fall into one of these mistakes. So as Christian helpers We honor God by doing the best job possible. So we need to apologize when we make mistakes and use our mistakes as learning situation and stepping stones to improvement. Uh, nothing wrong if you apologize when you make mistake. Also, we need to build good rapport with counselee And this can cover a multitude of counseling mistakes. When we build good rapport with them, this will cover a lot of our mistakes. But one should not use this as an excuse for chaotic and incompetent counseling. I say now I have a good relation with the counselee and, and they will never get upset from me. So I take this as excuse for chaotic and incompetent counseling. We will switch to another point in our lecture. So far we spoke about the characteristics of the Christian counselor. We spoke about the uniqueness of the Christian counselor, the motivation of the Christian counselors and the counselor's mistake. The fifth point we'll address in our lecture today is vulnerability. The counselor vulnerability. Counseling would be much easier if we could assume that every counselee want help, was honest and trustworthy, but that does not always happen. So we should assume that every counselee comes to me is honest and trustworthy. But unfortunately, this is not the case always. 
it is difficult to work with resistant and cooperative people, with controlling people, if the counselee himself is a controller, unrational, illogical, it will be difficult to work with them. By agreeing to help, we are opening ourselves to the possibility of power struggle and failure. When actually we deal with one of these counselee who are resistant, controller, irrational, illogical, uncooperative, then actually we are exposing ourselves to the possibility of getting into power struggle and failure. For example, some counselee, they try to manipulate me as a counselor. Manipulation. Some people are very good at getting what they want by controlling others. Bring guilt trip on them. People who attempt to manipulate their counselors often, often do this cleverly and well because manipulation became a way of life. So they put a guilty trip on the counselor. They may cry to get actually the, the counselor do what they want. Here the counselor must challenge these tactics, refuse to be controlled by them, and teach more satisfying ways of relating to others. The wise counselor may ask some question like this, am I being manipulated? Am I going beyond my responsibility? Is this a guilty trip? Are you inducing guilt on me? So these questions actually can expose the manipulation. But also we need to be careful of accusing our counselee of, uh, with manipulation when they are not manipulated, manipulating me. So we need to be careful uh, when we use this question, when we don't use them. Another thing, what we call emotional entanglement or counter-transference. What do I mean by emotional entanglement or counter-transference? This actually is a technical word first suggested by Freud. This occurs when a counselee reminds the counselor of a person who has had an influence in his or her life. For example, if the counselee remind me with my son or my daughter or my father or my mother or a former employee, here actually the counselor may lose his objectivity. Why? If I'm angry at my son, I can direct this anger toward the counselee just because he reminds me with my son. If I have some unfinished uh, business with my parents 
and the counselee reminded me of my parent, then actually I project my feeling toward the counselee. Emotional entanglement come when the counselor's own needs or perception interfere with the therapeutic relationship. That's why we call it emotional entanglement. What if a counselor starts having romantic feeling toward the counselee or finding ways to avoid counselee that they don't like? I don't like this person. He reminds me with a friend when I was in high school I did not like. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid this counselee. So that's what we call counter-transference or emotional intangement. And the first step to recognize the danger and the possibility of unhealthy emotional involvement with some uh, counselee. So we need to be aware if our emotions started to change toward a counselee. For example, yeah, like the two examples can be opposite to each other. I develop some romantic feeling or the opposite, I uh, develop some uh, unlikeness or hatred or avoidance toward the council. Another point is resistance. Resistance. People often come for help because they want relief from their symptoms or painful circumstances. But they may resist when they discover that lasting change and relief might require time, effort, and great pain. They don't want to go through this. They don't want to go through the time or effort or this pain. So if resistance persists, more in-depth counseling may be needed in order to see why they are not willing to, uh, to, to, to take the time or to do the effort or to endure the pain until they completely relieved from their symptoms. Resistance also has other reasons. For example, if I believe I am or perfect, I didn't do anything right or wrong. It is the mistakes of others around me. So why I change? Some people uh, also resist because they feel any change means they are wrong. No, I can do some changes not because I am wrong, but it is the best to solve the, the problem at hand. So resistance has many, many reasons, uh, not only the willingness to take the time and effort and great pain uh, of change. Another issue is sexuality. When two people work together, close, closely together, on a common goal, feeling of friendship, and warmth often arise between them, especially if they are of the opposite sex and frequently have 
a sexual component. So when the counselee and the counsellor spend the time together, work together on a common goal, they need actually to be aware that some uh, romantic feeling may develop and this actually can lead eventually to violate the, the, the code of ethics and some sexual component uh, can, can be a part of the counseling session which actually is, is wrong. So we need to be aware of this point. Uh, another issue we'll discuss in, in our lecture today is the counselor burnout. What do I mean burnout? I mean uh, I cannot give any more. You know the wick, if you have uh, a candle, oil candle, the wick, when there is no oil enough, the wick is, is just burnt out completely. So as a counselor, we may reach this point. We cannot give, we cannot help anymore. Counseling is a hard work. Counseling is a hard work. And definitely constant involvement with problem and miseries of other is psychologically, physically, and spiritually draining. Listening to problem all the time can drain the person. Most often burnout occurs in perfectionist people who want actually to do everything perfect, who are idealistic, deeply committed to their work, reluctant to say no to anybody, and inclined to be workaholic. So these people can suffer from burnout more than anybody else. Burnout tends to be accompanied by feeling of ineffectiveness. I feel that I am not effective anymore. Powerlessness, uh, I have no power, fatigue, unconcern, irritability and frustration. When somebody talks to me, I feel frustrated, angry, uh, irritable. Counselors also may, be, may, may become cold, distant, unsympathetic, detached, worn out helper when they are burned out. So they sit disconnected completely from the counseling. In order to prevent burnout, first, counselors need the spiritual strength that comes through regular period of prayer, meditation of scripture, and other spiritual disciplines attending the church, uh, sharing in Bible study, listening to homilies, uh, reading spiritual books, etc., fasting. 
so we get our strength from God. Number two, counselors need support from others. So maybe we can meet as a group of Christian counselors together to support one another and to encourage one another. Number three, counselors need to remind themselves that personal worth comes from God and and not from the ability to succeed. You will not be able to succeed with every counselee. As I told you, some of them are manipulative. Some of them are controllers. Some of them are resistant. Some of them are illogical and irrational. So my personal worth comes from God, not from the ability to succeed. Number four, counselors need to take time off. Even our Lord Jesus Christ used to go in solitary places and and isolate himself from everybody. So counselors need to take time off. Number five, it helps to improve one ministry skills, learn to manage conflict, or counsel better to be able to say no. So we need to learn more skills and how to manage conflict. And sometimes we need to say no. Uh, The ability to say no can actually protect me from being burned out. The last point I like to discuss that we ourselves as counselors, we need counseling. God often helps his children, including counselors, through other people whom one can share, maintain perspective, relax, pray, and sometimes cry with them. So me as a counselor, I need to have another counselor to help me. You know, as clergy, each one of us is a spiritual father to others. But we ourselves are spiritual sons to other spiritual fathers. So this help actually can help me not to be burned out. Without the support and encouragement, and the perspective of people whom I trust, the work of the counselor will be difficult and less effective. So we ourselves need some support and we need actually to be counselee to our counselors. Then let us speak few minutes, only few minutes about our Lord Jesus Christ as a counselor. And one of the titles of our Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah, he is counselor. So our Lord Jesus Christ is the best model we have of an effective, wonderful counselor whose personality, knowledge, and skills enabled him to assist anyone who needed help. So, who should be our role model, our Lord Jesus Christ? At times, he listened to people carefully, but without giving much obvious direction. He did not control, he's not a controller. 
On other occasions, he taught assertively. He gave encouragement and support, but he also confronted and challenged it, like with the religious leaders of Israel. He accepted people who were sinners, but also he demanded repentance, obedience, and action. In his teaching, caring, and counseling, he demonstrated his personality traits, attitudes, and values that made him effective as people helper and a model for all of us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, for example, who was absolutely honest, deeply compassionate, highly sensitive, spiritually mature in all his dealings with people. He was committed to serve his heavenly father and people. He was prepared for his work through frequent period of prayer and meditation. As I told you, he used to spend some time in solitary place in prayer and was deeply familiar with the scripture, the word of God. Also, in addition to teaching about God, authority, salvation, spiritual growth, prayer, the church and other things, Jesus also taught about marriage, parent-child relationship, obedience, race relations, care for the poor, and other social matters. So he did not only speak about uh, theology, God's authority, salvation, spiritual growth, prayer, but he addressed issues related to the society, marriage, parenting, uh, race relation, uh, care for the poor, and other social matters. And when the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with people, he frequently listed, listened to the inquire, uh, inquiries and accepted them before encouraging them to think or act differently. So he listened and he accepted them and he did this before encouraging them to think differently or to act differently. At the core of true Christian helping is the influence of the Holy Spirit, the counselor. It's one of the titles of the Holy Spirit as well. So the presence of the Holy Spirit and the influence make Christian counseling unique, the influence of the Holy Spirit. So let me conclude by saying, through prayer, contemplation on the scripture, regular confessions of sins, daily deliberate commitment to Christ, the counselor becomes an instrument through whom the Holy Spirit may work to comfort, help, teach, convict, and guide another human being. Glory be to God forever. Amen. This actually concludes uh, our uh, lecture about the uh, counselor, the Christian counselors. We spoke about uh, the trait, the, the characteristic of the Christian counselor, the uniqueness of the Christian counselor, 
motivation of the Christian counselors, their mistakes, their vulnerability, their burnout, how they need to be counseled to another counselor, support system, and our Lord Jesus Christ as a counselor.